Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our February 1st, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. Yes, it is February 1st. We are through the first trading month of the year, and it was quite the eventful one. And what that means for you is you need to pay attention. Because this isn't your, uh, your your average stock market that you've experienced more more recently. It is uh, it, it's new. Volatility is higher, uh, but opportunities are also higher as well. So we are here to help you with whatever is on your mind. I am here to answer your questions. Uh, there are so much. There's so much to talk about in today's market. And as always, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success as I go through the the show, just like every other day, where I'm giving you the answers using my 20 plus years of investment experience and the data that I see in front of me. I'm just here to give you the facts without bias. And I'm whether I'm talking about the market as a whole, a particular sector, a particular asset class, a stock, a company. Whatever it is, I am here to present it to you with some context and some data for you to make a good, smart decision. And remember, what I might suggest for one person may not be the right thing for another person. So I always try to give context. I give you the risks and the potential rewards as well. And that's my main goal here each and every weekday is to distill this out for you. And so... I'm going to operate, like I said, with my mission statement, independent thinking and shared success. And that means I rely on your questions. So I'm Justin Klein. If you want to interact with me right now during our live stream program, four to five Pacific time, you can. Or if you're listening after hours, which a lot of you are on the podcast, you can leave a message on our best talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. I was calling about AMT, American Tower Corp. I wanted to know if it's a good pickup for a long-term hold. Thank you. All right. Looking at American Tower Corp. This is a REIT, a real estate investment trust. What they do is they own cellular towers that the wireless providers basically rent space on for their equipment to serve their customers. And they pay a fee. They pay a, a rent for that. The AMT goes and gets these approved all around the country, and by the, they, they, they 
build the infrastructure for it, and then the cell carriers just simply strap onto it. And they earn pretty sizable returns. Uh, This is one of the most profitable uh, REITs out there. Consistent return equity in the high teens over the past decade or so. Consistent free cash flow that continues to grow every year, especially now that we are entering 5G. 5G needs more spots. Faster, but more, uh, more, 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 I don't know what you would call it, more nodes, I guess, on the network. And that means these carriers need to put a lot of equipment on more areas. And that's, that's good for American Tower Corp. Now, the stock price has come down as of late. And a lot of that has to do with higher interest rates. And if you look at their, let's take a look at their, where are we here? There we go. Earnings this year for 2022 expect to be $10.32 or funds from operation. Remember, REITs are a bit different from your normal company. It's a pass-through tax entity, and therefore it uses a different metric. But funds from operation, $10.32, up about 8% from last year, 2021, of $9.60 a share. And it has consistently strong growth. So I like that. The question is, are you paying too much for that higher quality? It is trading at about 26 times forward-looking earnings and or, or funds from operation. That's that's a bit high. Historically, its enterprise value to EBITDA uh, it ranges somewhere between the high teens and low 30s. Now it's at about 26 in its five-year range or average is right around 25. So it, it, by that metric, it's probably close to uh, fair value, maybe a bit overvalued. And so I wouldn't get too excited about buying it here. It's not super cheap, but it's not super overvalued either now that it's had this pullback. So from a long-term perspective, I kind of like it. Um, But the big question is, will it get cheaper as rates rise? Uh, And so uh, I like this is on your watch list. It's definitely starting to get down to that area that it is a good long-term buy. Right now it's trading around $250 per share, around $200. That's where I think you're you're finding a, a solid value there. But uh, right now, it's about fair value, and maybe that's uh, that's good enough for you. Uh, maybe it doesn't get too cheap. Sometimes stocks don't do that. They never become really cheap. They get to kind of fair value, and then they get back to overvalued, especially high-quality names. And this is a high-quality name. So overall, I give it a, a semi-thumbs up, but I would be a bit patient uh, if you're looking for a deep value. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899242278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's take a look at the markets right now. And uh, for the day, let's see. You had the S&P that was up 31 points, uh, pretty decent follow through after yesterday's surge, yesterday's surge into the close. And once again, more short cut covering rally. You've had kind of this three-bar, uh, in technical terms, you have this three-bar surge from the lows uh, on Friday, yesterday, and today. And likely that means a, a bit of cooling off, a bit of overbought in the very, very short term. Now, that that doesn't mean you have to go right back down. Uh, I, in fact, kind of indicators are saying that this uh, this bull market should, or this, this little wave higher should last a, a little longer. Now, anything's possible. You never know. Uh, but you are starting to get into some resistance areas. And, and and typically when you get into those areas, you have some pause and backing and filling. And clearly, 
the market was maybe a bit too worried about rates really taking off overall. And uh, that, that's one reason why you've seen this snapback uh, in, in tech and, and in the market as a whole, because while rates were expected to kind of break out above the 185.19 level on the 10-year, we're just kind of backing and filling right around this 1.8% range. And that's where we close today, 1.8% on the 10-year, up uh, about two basis points. And you had the dollar that was uh, a, bit, uh, a bit weaker, and that's always good. The weaker dollar is good for financial conditions. And gold, gold had a, a decent day as well. Oil wa- was up nicely. And you had what small caps? Let's see what small caps did. Yeah, the 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 Russell two thousand that was up about a little over one percent on that. So a really nice follow through. Uh, so far, we have a, a nice short term low that was made last week, and we could see some follow through uh, for the rest of the week. So uh, we'll see what happens. But we're going to go to a quick break. I appreciate you all tuning in. I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm ready to hear your questions at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Best Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about P.E. ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. No question is too simple. Wanted to ask about Teladoc. And each question is an important part of the podcast. My wife has a rollover 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless. That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Paige from Sunnyvale. Could you guys give me an opinion, please, on the Toro company, TTC, the old lawnmower company. I also subscribe to The Motley Fool, and a lot of times their recommendations don't seem like something you guys might like, but this is an interesting company because it's sort of an old name, but it is getting into AI and shifting the industry towards autonomous systems, according to something I'm reading. So curious what you think of it, and curious also at what price you think starting a position might be prudent always appreciate your advice very much. Thank you. All right. Looking at the Toro company, TTC is a symbol. And if you think this is a name of a company that we might like, you are correct. We've owned this for a little while now for clients and just started to uh, up. We we trimmed it back around uh, 110 and change or so. Now it it came back to 92-ish and that was major support. And now we're at 97 and we've been kind of adding in, especially for, for new clients. And we really like this company overall. And like you said, it is it is kind of an older name. It's been around for a long period of time and really since the early 80s. 
And if you look at its, uh, its profitability, it's always consistent. That's what we love, love about this company, just consistently growing its cash flows, well run, buying back shares, not aggressively, but uh, consistently, return in equity over the last decade, average in the 40% range, very, very high. It's not a fast grower, it's not gonna grow dramatically, but it typically grows 10, 15, 20% per year. Uh, not a hundred percent, but it's doing it at a profitable clip. When you can grow your business double digits every single year and your cash flows double digits every single year, that is a high quality business and it's increases dividend from 22 cents back in 2012 to dollar five trailing 12 months. So over just a, a short period of time, seven years or so it's quadrupled its dividend overall. That's, that, that's just a very well run business. Uh, yes, they are getting into aut autonomy and that's, that's fine. And I think that's smart. Uh, once again, a well run company, good leadership. Uh, but the main thing is they have cash flows to go and invest in things like that because they have a solid business that produces uh, value for shareholders. And ultimately that's number one. So uh, I do think it's near support. Uh, I, I think it's a good company. Now you're going to pay a premium. It's not trading uh, cheap, 27 times forward earnings, but it, it's one of those companies when you have a 40% return on equity, it's going to trade at, at, at a, a decent uh, higher multiple than the overall market. Right now it's trading about 16 and a half times. It was trading in the 20 range. Uh, and that's when we kind of trimmed it for for some clients. But now back into the, the mid teens, I think it's worthwhile at that level. So um, we like Toro Company, and I would continue. I, I, I would I would buy it around these levels. Eight eight ninety nine chart. Eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's touch on. Let's see. My focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Could the good times for tech be coming to an end? The tech sell-off has some venture capitalist concern that the boom era is over. So we're going to look at that. We also have time. We're going to discuss the shift in the bond market, how the bond market has been reacting to the change in policy from the Federal Reserve and what that will mean for asset prices and the economy as a whole and what it's, what, what it's thinking. Remember, I always say this bond market is smarter than the stock market. And so you always want to pay attention to what's being priced in over there. Also, consumer pessimism is growing. It's growing. Why is that? And we're going to look at uh, that data. And then lastly, Wall Street's green push and the conf conflicts of interest on that side as well. So that's what's on my mind. But ultimately, I need to know what's on your mind. That's that's what matters most to me, and that's why I'm looking to get your get your questions. Um, now let's pivot into one of our iTunes reviewers. If you leave a question on iTunes or leave a, a review on iTunes, leave a question with it, we will prioritize that answer. So we're going to talk to Zeta. She says, "I have a question on Roth IRA contributions. If we receive dividends in a Roth IRA, do those count towards the 6k contribution annual limit? Can I contribute $500 every month to invest while simultaneously investing dividends?" And the answer is absolutely yes, you can because dividends are just part of the overall of the overall um, uh, 
return of your investments. So it does not count towards your IRA contribution. And that $500 per month, that's very common. That's something a lot of our clients do with their Roth IRAs. They just set up automatic contributions, $500 a month. And then for the full year, you get that $600 total contribution. You don't have to really think about it kind of on autopilot the same way a 401k is. So the answer is, Stick with $500. Don't worry about the dividends. You continue to reinvest them. That's just part of your overall return. It does not count as a contribution. Now we're going into a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now we're going to go talk to Richard. He's in Santa Clarita. He wants to talk about Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Do you own them or look yes, to buy them? Hi, Justin. Thanks again for all the information and education you give us all. Of course, of course. We're always here to help in any way. Uh, I wanted to try to generate uh, some a bit of some cash just because of all the volatility. Uh, I also wanted to have some exposure to financials. So I have a pretty good position, uh, position in Bank of America, but I also have a smaller, a small position, I would say, in Wells Fargo. And I got that Wells Fargo when it was really a beat-up stock, you know, and now that Wells Fargo has doubled, you know, it's like 100% return. So I'm contemplating, uh, you know, just keeping the B of A, so I have the financial exposure, and taking the profit from the Wells Fargo, uh, selling it all. Uh, what do you think of that? Is that a good idea, or is it better just to hang on to, hang on to both of them at this point? Well, that depends on kind of your view of the overall economy. Now, Bank of America is more globally diversified and its business is more diversified. It has Merrill Lynch. It has a larger investment banking arm than Wells Fargo, whereas Wells Fargo is is global, but it's more focused here in America and it's more of your traditional uh, home loan bank. Uh, certainly has a lot of different types of businesses, but uh, that is, you're, you're going to get a more pure play uh, commercial bank when you're buying Wells Fargo, whereas Bank of America, there's uh, there's more to it. There's uh, more investment banking business and and uh, wealth management business, et cetera. Even though Wells Fargo, like I said, has some of that, but it's much bigger on the on the Bank of America side because of uh, Merrill Lynch. So that's that's your main question. Now, if you're talking about valuation, Wells Fargo, I think, is cheaper. I think because, like you said, there's there's a lot of uh, worries about around their uh, problem with opening. Uh, accounts and and um, I think in a lot of ways, hopefully that's behind them, and they've made a lot of uh, positive changes to uh, rectify that. And therefore, I think there's more upside for Wells Fargo. And I like the pure play commercial bank as opposed to one that has heavily investment bank. As IPO activity slows down, M and A activity slows down. When the cost of capital goes up, those things actually tend to slow down. Whereas your traditional commercial bank, those things tend to uh, get more profitable because the the yield spreads widen out. And so, I rather own Wells Fargo over Bank of America. Uh, what I would actually do, this is what I would actually do. 
I would be looking for smaller banks. I would be looking to trim your Bank of America and go and buying those high quality regional banks that are pure play commercial banks that don't have much investment banking business at all. And those are the businesses I think they're going to succeed in an inflationary environment even more than your uh, your investment banks or, or hybrid banks like your Bank of America's or Wells Fargo's. So that's the direction I would go. Wouldn't be really adding to either, but trimming some of your B of A and buying more smaller, mid, mid cap maybe, uh, regional banks that have higher dividends and better consistent growth rates and don't have the investment banking arm. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Could the good times for tech be coming to an end? Now, we've seen that. We've seen a little snapback rally here recently, but there are people within the industries that are a bit more concerned about what's happening and uh, not just in the public markets, but how that's spreading to the private markets as well. Now, tech startups raised $621 billion in venture funding globally last year. That's up more than double from the year before. And the number of privately held quote unquote unicorn firms, those that are unicorn means they're valued over a billion dollars, that rose 69%, the number of them to 959. So a lot more companies reached that that status. And the the issue it now is that a lot of those were priced based on public market multiples. You saw the Zooms and Pelotons of the world and and those were trading at 20, 30, 40, some of them 50 times revenues. And a lot of the the rounds that these smaller companies were uh, were raising the valuations were based on some of those multiples. And while a lot of those are flooded with cash right now, that could change because most of those smaller companies, they're a lot after growth. They're investing in growth. And so they're burning cash. And when they go through that cash, what happens next? And in private markets, there's some panic uh, over the te this tech sell-off that the next stage of their funding rounds are going to be what are called down rounds. And that for a private company is really what they do not want to see. They do not want to see uh, their values fall because that, that, that makes the, uh, that, that's a bad look because they want to go back and do it again. They don't want, uh, if they have to go back again to the, to the, to the private markets and raise more capital, and they, the, those uh, investors see, oh, well, that last round was lower than the previous round. Well, we might be, the next round after us could be lower as well. It doesn't look good. And you're already seeing term sheets being renegotiated, and some of them even pulled, meaning the funding uh, is gone. And so the big question, is this similar to 2000? Or is this just a blip and we get back to uh, the good times relatively soon? I think a lot depends on what happens with policy. But if interest rates continue to go up, we still see inflation. That's going to be a rough time for public and private tech firms. Now, the next and best stock story behind this question. Would early retirement be one of the worst money mistakes you can make? I'll cover that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. and ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed a hundred thousand miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left 
Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Now here's another iTunes review question. Jordan asks, looking into getting into a few uranium stocks, wondering what you guys think of URNM and UUUU, which one of these would you recommend? over the other now this is this is a a great question because it talks about two different vehicles in the same space so either way you're going to be investing in uranium but one is an etf and one is a specific company so urnm is a good way to get broad exposure to the uranium space you're going to buy a litany of different uh, different companies in the uranium mining industry, and 
you're going to get broad diversification. So you don't need to do specific research on the companies. You don't have specific company risk, uh, especially in the mining industry. If uh, bad things can happen to particular companies and, and their mines, and uh, whether that's a, a disaster, maybe a flooding, uh, could be also something happening in the jurisdiction. Look what's happening in um, in Kazakhstan. Um, and uh, that is one, one of the largest suppliers of uranium to the world because that a problem. And so that's 16% of this particular ETF. Cameco, the largest Canadian uh, producer of uranium, that's about 17% of it. And then Sprott Uranium Trust is 10%. So those three positions all together account for about 43, 44% of the overall ETF. And there's a bunch of other smaller players. And one of them is UUUU, which is Energy Fuels, actually the fifth largest holding in URNM. And this is a, company, a, a domestic uranium company. They have uh, mines in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Wyoming, and New Mexico, but they're all mainly in development stage. Trailing 12-month revenue is not even $2 million and has a, about a billion-dollar market cap. So this is going to be much more, much, much riskier. And it's going to have much higher uh, volatility to uranium prices and the uranium industry as a whole. So, and, and then you have the risk of one of these mines uh, maybe not producing anything, maybe having some sort of disaster, et cetera. Uh, and then what if there's some regulation around America as a whole and uranium? And that could cause an issue for them uh, too. So there's a lot of specific company factors that could really change the prospects of energy fuels. Uh, whereas if you buy the broad ETF, then if one thing something happens to one of them, your the whole uh, portfolio isn't going to go under, right? So uh, the safer play is URNM and URNM, and then you also don't have to do a lot of work either. But you're going to pay some sort of management fee for that. Thanks for the review. And for anyone out there, you can go over to iTunes and leave us a review. We would love that. And you can leave your question. We will prioritize the answer. Now, let's pivot over to the bond market as a whole. Now, yields on longer dated government bonds are starting to stabilize here. Like I said at the top of the show, right around that 1.8 level. We're close today. And the reason it's kind of leveled out, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is... I think a lot of investors don't believe the Fed's going to raise quite as rapidly as they're they're indicating. A lot of that has to do with their expectation that inflation will come down. And I think I would be in that camp. I do think inflation is going to come down a, a good amount by middle of the year where they're ready to make that second or third hike. And the economic data is unlikely to be as strong uh, to make that case for that hike. And I think that's one of the big reasons why rates really haven't taken off. And another is, I know you can't believe this, but the Fed is actually still buying bonds. Remember, they're still doing QE. They're tape. They're bringing it down. They're, they're they're slowing the pace of it, but they are still expanding their balance sheet, which means there's still billions of dollars flooding into the system from the Fed, keeping those those rates down. And so I think those two factors are preventing rates from really rising too much more than, than they already have. Now, 
the big question is how far can rates go up before they break something? That's really the Fed's pattern is they go through a long loosening cycle. Uh, inflation goes up. You have a really tight labor market, and then they start a tightening cycle. And that typically is a lot shorter than, than, their, uh, than their easing cycle. And they typically peak out at lower rates. The last time they did this, 2016, they peaked at the lowest rate in seven decades. Okay. And so the big question is, where is that kind of peak uh, in this round? And, and that's still up for debate, I think. But what you've seen with the stabilization is a rebound in tech stocks, the fact that rates didn't continue to go higher. But I think the fact that if they stay around these levels, I think that also uh, limits the upside for the, the tech-heavy uh, NASDAQ. It's up 7.4% over the last three sessions. And you see that's where uh, that, that relief rally is really coming from. Now, when will they top out? Last time, it was 2.25% during the last tightening cycle. And investors still generally think that inflation will get sorted out because of supply chain issues and consumer demand fading with less fiscal stimulus. So that's kind of our, 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 uh, our stance as well. But the big question is, where will inflation be in 23 and 24? And that will be a big factor. If we level out at, say, 4%, we come back down. We hit 4%, and then we kind of st have steady state there around that 4% level for an extended period of time. And maybe uh, dip. Uh, we start to kind of uh, chatter higher as opposed to chatter lower. Then I think that's going to have the biggest impact on, on the bond market. Uh, because the bond market, while it's smart, it doesn't know exactly what's going to happen over the next three to four years. It's, it's a guesstimate. Um, and a lot of factors could change that. And so uh, that's what's happening in the bond market right now. And still a lot up in the air. And I think that's why you're getting that bid in the tech stocks right now. But overall, probably a bid to trim into. Let's go to Carl in Oceanside looking at Square. Or I guess now it's called Block. Block Incorporated, yes. yes, yes. Well, it came down from 200 to 127. I'm wondering... Is it still overvalued at 127? Yes, I do think it is still overvalued. Yes, it's come down dramatically. Uh, let's see, it's off 56% from its 52-week high. But earnings next year, or this year, only supposed to be up 1%, a whopping 1% uh, in 2022 to a dollar 67. Does a company that's growing its earnings 1% deserve a 69 times earnings multiple? I really do not think so. And when you look at its, its cash flow, you look at its, its business overall, uh, it's it pales in comparison to its current market cap of uh, about 60 billion and trailing 12 months free cash flow about 600 million. So that's a 1% free cash flow level uh, yield. That's that's too low for me. I need something uh, at least 3% or higher, hopefully. It's still trading at 78 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Very, very high price to sales ratio. That's all about three. So that's, uh, that's kind of in line three to four, depending on if you're looking trailing or, or future. But I don't see a value here until it gets below $60 per share, around you know, 50, 60 range. That's where I start saying, okay, that's interesting. Uh, but then also you have to look at their shift to more uh, focusing on cryptocurrency. That's why they changed it to block. And 
as we know, that that industry is a lot more volatile than the payments industry, which Square was uh, is, is 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 made for, right? That's what it was built for. That's where it actually earns its revenue and its profits. And therefore, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on it. I think uh, you'll get a uh, it'll go along with this near term bounce, but I think this needs to come down still a lot more. Still very overvalued on block. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Now let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank at 888.99 chart. Hey, Steve or Justin. It's Nick from Los Angeles calling to ask about Digital Turbine, ticker symbol APPS. Uh, it's a great company, growing revenue really quickly, also growing the bottom line at an even faster pace. Uh, in a recent investor presentation, uh, CEO and top management made forward projections for, uh, I think, the next two years. They're saying that they plan to be doing $4 billion in revenue and $1 billion in EBITDA within the next two years. This represents a 10x from last 12 months EBITDA, and I think current price is a good valuation. Let me know what you think. Thanks. Bye. All right. We're looking at Digital Turbine, and this is a company that's engaged in media and mobile communications, delivering end-to-end products and solutions for mobile operators, applications advertisers and OEM manufacturers. And you're right, it is growing dramatically, uh, but it is in a consistent downtrend. And the reason for that is that earnings expectations continue to kind of come down for this year and next year. So let's make $2.16 next year, $1.62 this year, trading at $45 per share. So based on forward-looking earnings, uh, trading in the low 20 range, uh, multiple, which isn't, isn't too bad. Uh, you know, I, I think this is at a level now where it's, it's still actually, yeah, it's still pretty overvalued. You're talking trailing 12 months, their free cash flow is 25 million. They're continuing to issue more and more shares every single year. And as this come down, uh, why, you know, why are they issuing more shares? They do have a little bit of debt, but not too much. And they just recently started to uh, earn a profit for shareholders. So, you know, a uh, 25, let's call it 50, even 50, 2021, $54 million in free cash flow on a $4.3 billion market cap. That's less than 1%. Um, yes, it's growing very fast. Uh, but it's, you know, the big question is, is it going to grow fast enough consistently to grow into that multiple? And if it's reliant on ad revenue, which uh, looks like part of their business is, when the economy slows, ad revenue comes down as well. So, I would be patient on it. Uh, this looks to be, like I said, in a downtrend. Where would support be? Let me go to a weekly chart here. Let's go to a quick weekly chart. Ooh. High 20s. It's at 45 now. Uh, I think high 20s is an area that would be interesting to me, uh, about half of where it is today. And I think that would be at least a reasonable multiple for a name like this. And uh, I like that it's on your watch list. I like that it's at least profitable, but the multiple still needs to come down dramatically. Still trading at, let's see, price sales uh, six times. Yeah, it needs to be a bit lower than that. Thanks for the call. Now, it is February. February has started. We're moving along in a volatile manner in markets. And the big question is, are you keeping up with the transition, the rotation in markets? And is your process of developing your portfolio and creating a consistent strategy, is that in line with your risk tolerance level, with the volatility that you should expect for the markets and the asset classes that you are holding? Well, if you need help understanding that, 
I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, where we practice parallel investing. And our philosophy is the same, independent thinking and shared success, which means that you come along in our success and we are thinking differently. We're not Kramer. We're not uh, blowing, uh, banging bells and whistles. Uh, if you follow Kramer recently, he's made some pretty bad calls, very bad calls actually over the past year. And uh, you know, we're we're down to earth. We're we're looking at real companies, real businesses, not about hype. Uh, and if you need help understanding, is your com- is your portfolio full of hype companies or real companies? Reach out to us uh, for some unbiased guidance and parallel investing. You can reach out to us through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now, this is Invest Talk. Steve and I thank you for downloading our podcast and telling your friends about it as well. Next up, another caller question. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes, so your questions are always welcome. As a newer investor, my question concerns positions. You have the right to remain silent, but why would you when anything you ask will be used to help you create your financial freedom? I think it'll probably go higher. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99 Chart. Hey, uh, this is Chris from Mississippi. I would like you to tell me what you think of SI. It's as a crypto play. It does make money. Might be a little expensive, but let me know what you think. That's SI. Thanks. Silver Gate Capital. Hmm. Provider of innovative financial infrastructure solutions and services. Okay, Silvergate Exchange Network, Cash Management Solutions. I'm just reading, I've never heard of this company. Provides financial services that include commercial banking, business lending, commercial and residential real estate lending, and mortgage warehouse lending as well. Also, uh, okay, interesting. Hmm. In the cryptocurrency space, uh, let me look at the, the data here. Now, I will say I'm, I'm pretty bearish on cryptocurrency as a whole for... Uh, the balance of probably most of this year, simply because we're in a rising rate environment, a uh, tightening cycle, and in that environment, those type of speculative assets, non-yielding assets, uh, don't do nearly as well. And you've seen that so far over the past few months, really since the Fed started to pivot. And you can see the the chart on this as well. It's been in a downtrend ever since the Fed pivoted back in November when they really started to up their rhetoric around uh, raising rates and, and reducing their balance sheet and, and reducing QE. And this has gone from a high of uh, 230-something dollars to 110, a little bounce today. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't touch it just because it's so correlated uh, with crypto. And I think crypto is headed lower. So I'm not touching this. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. Our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now if you're going to call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 
888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Luke from New York. I'm calling about Big Lots, symbol B-I-G. Wanted to get your opinion on this stock as the price is pretty low, around 40 to 50. Looks like a good price to buy. What is your stock valuation as I see Morningstar has it at $63? Looking forward to hearing your answer about this stock. All right, looking at Big Lots, and this is a name we do own for clients, and we really like it. Even though earnings are expected to come down this year and next year, down 23% from $7.35 last year to $5.64. But even based on that, uh, you're still trading at about an eight times multiple, which to us is is very cheap for a company whose cash flows are very strong and they're buying back shares. And consistently, longer term, the return on equity is uh, on average over this decade in the mid 20% range. So, uh, it was it was over earning last year. That's certainly true. But I think as you get uh, you know right now you're seeing kind of tougher comps uh, in their their sales. But once you get through the next quarter or two, they'll get back to likely growth. And uh, like I said, they're buying back shares. 69 million shares outstanding in 2012. Only 35 million today. So over the last eight nine years, they've they've cut their div- they're cut their number of shares outstanding in half and their cash flow is better today. So if they stay on that path, this company will go private in the next decade. And, uh, you know, when, when there's very few shares available, then they're going to, uh, the, the price is going to go higher. <laughs> it's simple supply and demand and dividends started back in 2015, 51 cents a share back then are now at a dollar 20. So nice, solid, consistent dividend current year, dividend yield 2.8%. So we like it. We think it's a, a deep value play and, uh, based on its historical profitability and cash flow, uh, where we think it is uh, very cheap down here in the 40 range. Trading right now at 43.61. Thanks for the call. Great question. Now let's touch quickly on ESG, my, one of my favorite topics, because it, it's an area that is growing and, and everyone's going to get exposed to uh, ESG options. And maybe you're an investor that wants to invest in the, in the ESG trend because maybe it's for environmental reasons, maybe it's for social reasons, maybe it's because you want companies with good governance. Those are what ESG stands for, those three things. And the big question is, how are investors going to assure, be assured that these companies are operating with these under these various standards. Okay. And what's happening here is there's a booming business in green finance and the companies historically that have rated uh, the, the strength of companies for bonds in particular, they're starting to get into the business of rating ESG for particular companies. Uh, companies like PricewaterhouseCoopers, a lot of the big four audit firms, they're moving into ESG governance and uh, trying to give these companies ratings. Now, the issue here are conflicts of interest, and that's because it, they're, they're also selling services to help them become more ESG. So they're rating them, and then they're saying, hey, your rating maybe is not that good. But if you hire us, we're going to consult with you and give you the ways that you can become better with your ESG score, and then your ESG score will go higher. Well, 
the problem is, is that that's a giant conflict of interest because they're just going to feed, feed you ideas to fit their ESG rating system. And they're not, the company's not going to keep hiring them uh, for their consulting services if their ESG score doesn't go up. So they're going to be biased to, to, to raise that ESG score as long as they are employed by the services side. Now, uh, Deutsche Borsch, which is out of Germany, they're trying to separate their rating from their corporate advisory units. Uh, but that's just one company. And this was similar to back before the financial crisis when the S&P and all these uh, bond rating companies were rating the bonds, but they had to rate the bonds good or otherwise they would go to the other rating firm. And that's what caused a lot of con conflict of interest and bad ratings for these bonds. And so uh, there's still a lot to be ironed out with the, the rating of, of ESG for companies. And this is one of them is how do you keep the conflicts of interest from seeping into the industry and ruining all the work of what ESG is supposed to be? Well, that about wraps it up. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now we crossed over the 38 million download mark here on our way to 39. Thanks to you. And get your downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. If you leave your review with a question on iTunes, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.